Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and it's always good to come to this church because they, they let God be God. Some churches, they don't let God be God. God. God can be in there, but he's reduced. And so I like this church. It's balanced. The pastor sees all kinds of people, and uh, I really sense that God is doing something fresh and new in this season. Are you ready for the word? Yes. Now, I want to just tell you that tonight I'm going to be moving prophetically. It's going to be more aggressive. It's going to have more flow of the spirit. Uh, Sunday mornings like this, it's a little bit, you got all kind of people coming, people that are Baptist, people that are nothing, people that came out of crazy, and people that are good sheep and disciples. So you got to give them a word that's going to just kind of hit as many people as possible. But tonight we're going to go for the disciples. Now you can invite anybody, but I'm aiming towards disciples. Is that all right? Yes. Well, let's give the Lord a mighty hand of applause. Amen. And I want to just say that the worship was phenomenal today. I mean, how many felt God in the worship? I mean, there's a lot of churches, they sing the songs about God, but God doesn't show up. He said, I ain't going down there. I ain't going down there. How many have ever eaten a, a really good steak or a cheeseburger or chicken? When you were eating that food, were you conscious you were eating vitamins and minerals? You weren't conscious you were eating vitamins and minerals. You just ate the food. Well, the Lord spoke to me that in the worship in this house, there's going to be spiritual vitamins and minerals that you won't even know you're getting stronger, you're getting nurtured. And let me just say, worship is not preliminaries for the word. It's the word in song. That's why you got to sing the nature of God and when you sing it, God comes on it, and he is enthroned in the worship. And so it's not a, something we got to just sing the song, get out of the way. And if you don't get engaged in worship, you're a spiritually dysfunctioned Christian. You know, I pick people a lot of time I'm going to prophesy to during worship. When you're open to God, then I say, I can prophesy to them. It doesn't mean I don't get anything for you. It just means you got your door closed, so why would I want to bother with you? You can't fake worship. You can't fake it. Now, you can fake praise, especially with a rhythm section like this. And, oh, yeah, I was in, I'm going to go to, I go to Miami a lot, and you got some Cuban worship. I mean, the devil can praise the Lord, that kind of worship. Got the congas, but hey. But worship, you can't fake worship. Say, you can't fake worship. God is watching our worship to decide if he wants to do something further in your life. I don't think we just said God is watching our worship to decide if he wants to do something further in your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means it says, I'm not going to invest in that. Everybody say, the church becomes, the church becomes what the church sings. The church becomes what the church sings. That's why God put Judah first. The church is never more unified than when we're singing the same thing. And so you need prophetic people to pick out the songs. You just can't sing the top charismatic 40 and say, well, that's popular song. Is it in the vein of what your pastor is doing? Is it what the people need to hear? Amen. Everybody say repetition is the mother of all learning. How many gospels are there? Why? There's basically the same story told four times. Listen. How many chambers in the stomach does a sheep have? Four. Four. Sheep are ruminators. Everybody say ruminators. ruminators. They eat something and they chew it. Stomach number one. They bring it back up. They chew it again. Stomach number two. Bring it back up. Chew it again. Stomach number three. And then it goes out. Repetition is how God feeds us. And so it's good to hear it in song. Get to hear it in declaration, prophecy. But in the end, we got to chew it multiple times before it can become us. How many have heard, you are what you eat? Yes. Not, true. Not true. You are what you digest. Anybody ever had the flu? You ate it in 30 minutes out of your body. And so there's a lot of people that don't pay attention in church. Some of you got the spiritual flu. We could put a nice couple outside and say, how was the service today? It was very nice. How was the worship? Very nice. 
How was the atmosphere? Very nice. Now, what did the pastor talk about? Uh, oh, ooh, uh, he said, hallelujah. He told a funny story about his daughter. Uh, eh. You got spiritual flu. You never digested what God gave you. Say, your diet, your diet. determines your destiny. Now, life, once again, is all about our responses. Your responses to whatever is going on in your life shapes you. It shapes you. And so if you put some people that are negative in your life, do you respond in a negative way? Or do you just capitulate and just say, whatever, whatever's happening, I'll just go flow with the thing? Or do you push back against anti-kingdom behavior or attitudes. So life is about our responses to whatever happens to us. Again, you don't understand. I went through a divorce. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm 30. You going to cry for the next 40 years? You going to get over it? You don't understand. Victims. Cannot be blessed by God. God cannot bless a victim mentality. Jesus will not let you stay a victim. And the people that are pastors and leaders for God, they do the same. They will not let you stay a victim. The church is full of victim stories. No, you're not allowed to be a victim. We got to face the truth and the reality of what happened. And we're going to face it with the responses that Jesus says, do this. Now you're shaped by your response. I am shaped, I am shaped. by my responses. my responses. Your responses shape your soul. Has anybody ever seen people when you walk up on them that you look beat up and defeated? I mean, they're like beautiful people, handsome men, beautiful women. But when they walk up on you, their face like, ugh. Yes, you've been taking a whipping. Had a lady one time, she was an older lady. She's just a mean Christian. She was just grouchy and mean. Now, she was going to heaven, but she was going to heaven grouchy and mean. <laughs> Somebody say grouchy and mean. Grouchy. You ever seen those people that when their face is resting, they have ugly resting face? <laughs> they got kind of jowls that hang down. They look mad. I had a pastor one time. He looked mad all the time. I had to run in a for him. Hey, he's not mad. He just got ugly resting face. And so this lady died, and so we went to her funeral. And they had a viewing, and when I looked at the casket, I went, oh, she looked better dead than alive. (laughs) Why, her spirit was no longer in her body manifesting in her face. And some people have spiritual ugly resting face. It's how you're responding. Under 40, you have the face that God gave you. Over 40, you have the face that you've responded to get. Oh, I'm going to say that one again. There was too much groaning after that word. Hallelujah. Under 40, you get the face you were born with. Under 40, you get the face you were born with. Over 40, you get the face that was shaped by your continual responses. I know women that are 70 that look better than some girls that are 30. They look beat up. And they say, I don't understand how come I can't find no man. Your faith is your birth control. That's why your face won't let no man come. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hey. Now you're laughing. It's not about, listen, I know girls that are mediocre, overweight. They don't have any problem getting a man. I got this one lady, she said, uh, she was kind of chubby, and, uh, and she, she always had a boyfriend. And she goes, there's a whole lot of chubby chasers out there. <laughs> but it was her face. She was electric. She was alive. Say, our responses, our responses. shape our soul. Now, what's going to happen after I say this? You're going to be seeing people's faces. <laughs> Why? God wants us to have discernment when we deal with people. Yes. There are some people that walk into an atmosphere, they just depress the atmosphere. 
They just, oh, man. And so how do you respond to negative things that come into your life? They're shaping you. You got to be conscious how I respond to that person or the situation or my tragedy or the thing that broke my life. How I respond is shaping me. And on another note, how many of us say you're a hormone factory? Both men and women, you're a hormone factory. And every time you think about something, you're either flowing correctly with your body and your physiology and your hormones or you're releasing negative hormones in your body. How many heard of adrenaline? Okay. A dog comes out in the middle of the night and rah, 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 rah. you start running. Like, Man, I haven't run that fast since high school. <laughs> and so that was a burst of hormones to protect you. But do you understand that when you stay continually angry and bitter and mad, you're pumping hormones in your body in excess? And it makes you feel crazy. You go to the doctor and he gives you a, a prescription to counteract the hormones that your own thinking caused. Did you know that? Doctors always say, your own self is making you sick. Your hormone factory. So this, I know this is a shocking thing, but every single one of us, we're being shaped all the time. And if we let people who are fail or they leave us or they cause issues, our response is shaping me. People say, well, Kevin, you're 70 years old. You don't seem like you're 70 years old. Why? I don't handle stress. I'm a no stress Kevin. I may cause stress, but I don't have any stress. <laughs> I'm so stressful being around you, Kevin. Yeah, I may tell you the truth. That's what it was making you stressed out. Listen, I heard doctors say, he said, it's better to smoke cigarettes and drink brown whiskey than carry stress. It's harder on your body. Stress stresses everything, all your hormones, everything. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, down to verse 12. Everybody say, sin causes chaos. Sin causes chaos. The Hebrew picture, and Hebrew is a picture language, when sin happens, chaos comes. Do you know any people that every time they show up, they just bring drama? Drama, 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 drama. You know why? There's sin behind that foolishness. Sin causes chaos. Ephesians 6, verse 10 down to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategy of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of weakness in the heavenly places in Corpus Christi. Everybody say armies of demons. Armies of demons. You know, many of the churches in this city, the devil can just go in and out without any resistance. They don't even talk about the devil. They don't even believe in deliverance. Listen, 25% of the ministry of Jesus was casting out demons. Everybody say, demons don't die. Demons don't die. They, just they just recycle. Ignorant Christians. A couple of years ago, I'm casting out a demon in some area of the country. I've been there before. And so I said, I command you to come out. In I said, have I ever cast you out before? And the demon started laughing. Said, yeah, you cast me out before. He was a talking demon. Demons are intelligent. I said, how'd you get? He said, this guy let me in. Everybody say, it takes a door, takes a door. For, the for the demon to get in. Say, the name of the sin, the of the sin is how the demon gets in. I don't understand how come they're so crazy. Find the sin patterns. That's how demons get in. And the name of the sin is the nature of that demon. Now, demons did a doorway. And today, I want to shut every doorway yes. of demons in this church and in your life and in your family. Yes. Now, now, we got to get permission and work with people to get the demons out of them once they get in. There's demons in this building today. Everybody's looking at each other. Ooh. <laughs> Are you talking about me? Demons don't die. Jesus and demons go to the same meetings. Demons and Jesus go to the same meetings. The Bible says that when the sower sows the world, when the sower sows the word, how fast did the devil come? Immediately. That means he's there. 
That means the devil is watching this message to try to take the seed out of you before you get home. He comes immediately. All right. Now, today I'm talking about processing your problems through prophetic insight. Processing your problems through prophetic insight. How many people here have problems? You know how you spell problem? P-E-O-P-L-E. People. Because when I want a big church, well, you just want a lot of problems. Where there's people, there's problems. Our calling is to process people into sainthood and to Christianity. So here's what spiritual insight is. It's a combination of knowledge and illumination from God. You can't figure out how to deal with some people just through knowledge. I've got to have illumination from God about the activity that's happening in their life. Now, once again, everybody here is processing death and life issues. Everybody here is processing win and loss issues. When you're in the ministry, you're in the dirty people business. Say, we are in the dirty people business. Come on, smile when you say it because we have the victory. Say, we are in the dirty people business. So we can't be shocked when we see dirt in people. Oh, my God, you go to Rock City and you're a sinner? Oh, my God, this is what's supposed to happen. But we've got the power to process them by spiritual insight and knowledge. Now, there's some of you are stuck in your life. You're responding in a wrong way to some people and situations in your life. I mean, Kev, you don't understand. My son is doing this, and my daughter did this, and my ex-husband did this, and my wife did this. And, oh. You're stressed out because you're not responding the right way. And I know that sometimes when you're inside the situation, all you can see is the situation. Yeah. It's hard to see the big picture when you live inside the frame. Yes, it is. So everybody's processing death. Yeah. I don't care how anointed you are, problems knock on your door. I don't care how anointed and how much words you know, people do what people do. Somehow the devil gets in there. So how are we going to process this stuff? I got to process it through God's word and spiritual illumination. I've got to see inside this situation. We've got new people entering our life all the time. We've got old people leaving our life all the time. And if I don't respond the way Jesus will respond... It just destroys my soul. And that's just the reality of life. There's people dying around us all the time, and I don't mean physically. This pastor had to deal with a lot of death in this church. They came for a year and a half. They were with him. Pastor, we're with you. I can think of one guy right now that I used to see his face, and I don't see his face anymore. I said, Pastor, where's that guy? Well, he's just not here anymore. He just kind of backslid. That's death. He didn't physically die. But I had expectation, I had commitment, he had vows, he participated, now he's gone. How am I going to process? How do I process betrayal? Let me ask you a question. Who had the greater betrayal, Judas or Peter? Who had the greater betrayal, Judas or Peter? Who says Judas? Baptized. Who said Judas? <laughs> Got to be quick if you're a prophet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Who had the greater betrayal, Judas or Peter? Peter? Somebody said Judas. Somebody said Peter. Betrayal is measured by intimacy. Betrayal is measured by intimacy. Who had more intimacy with Jesus, Judas or Peter? Peter. He was the greater betrayal. But what happened with Jesus? He saw that Peter was willing to turn when the right influences got on him. He kept his heart right towards him. Let me just say this. I know we believe in faith and hope, but people have free wills. I mean, I had guys that I'm believing for my wife to come back to me. She's on her fourth marriage after you. I said, bro, give up on it. Go find the next thing. You know, how many know that God gave all some folk? He gave up on the people that were in the wilderness. He said, Moses. I'm going to kill your army and start over again. Moses said, no, Lord, you shall not do that over my dead body. He said, okay, listen, 
Moses died with the people he wouldn't let God kill. God said, these people don't want to go to the promised land. Oh, it's common here. Because when you have a lot of pastors and mercy and hope and I don't want to let him go. I don't want to let him go. Sometimes you got to let them go. They don't want to come back. Or they want to stay in that old season. Not everybody is going to go to the next season with you. It's a form of death. So God is continually requiring us to die on the inside to some situations and to die on the outside when things are outside of us, when they leave or they die. Is anybody hearing this today? And the failure to deal with this stuff destroys you. You know, for many years, I was around the thing called the word of faith. So many good things about the word of faith. But the one bad thing about the word of faith, they had no theology for suffering. It was always resurrection. It was always faith. It was always power. It was all the hope. And so when people weren't going to come back, they get crushed. I know one guy that is, they had a a, a death in the church and the whole church lost their faith because it was believing for resurrection. Pastor, we're confessing the word, we're believing, and the guy died. The pastor had no theology for suffering, and it crushed him. They got no theology for divorce. How many understand that God's a divorcing? I wish I had some Bible readers in here. God divorced Israel. Why? He divorced them because they didn't want to come back to him. How many understand that when Jesus came, he divorced the Old Testament for the New Testament because they didn't want to work with him? You got to learn how to process divorce and failure and separation and people who betray you. Because if you don't, you continually respond the wrong way and it shapes you. It shifts you. John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25 is a process that has to happen for this church to go to the next place. Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He that loves his life will lose it. And he that hates his life in this world will find it for eternal life or eternal purposes. Everybody say death, death. Burial, burial, resurrection. resurrection. Death. Burial, Burial. resurrection. Resurrection. Every time God does a new thing in your life, get ready for death. One guy, I don't want to die. We don't want the new. A door has to close and a door has to open. You can't be in two places at the same time. You know, I've been in this thing 50 years. And I've got people I've left in past seasons because they did not want to go forward. I said, you guys want to go to the next thing God's doing? No, we're good. We're comfortable. And the thing about God, he'll let them stay there. You know, I got this revelation and I don't want this church to be this way. When I first started ministering to places, I was getting a current word from God. I was hearing God and I went to this church and it was like 40 years in the past. The songs were 25 years old. The people's responses were 25 or 30 years old. And the Lord says, son, you can't preach what you know because you have to preach where they are. And I tried to take them three decades in one weekend. It was a failure. Everybody say too much too soon. It's like asking a girl to marry you on the first date. That was too much too soon. Maybe it happened, but too much too soon. Like, all, listen to me very carefully. All over Corpus Christi, there are different churches in different spiritual time zones. There's some churches during the 50s. They drive 21st century cars in the building, but when they get in that building, they do church just like they did 60, 50 years ago. 20 years behind time. 30, and there's some folk, they don't want to change. I like it like this. I like the old wine better. I was at this one church, I was so frustrated. Because they kept singing songs that were 30 years old. And I'm trying to flow in the prophetic. I said, does anybody know a song from this century? Please help us. 
Shout till the Lord die. Come on, give me a new song. Shout till the Lord. That was 30 years ago. Come on, man. Give me a new song. Certainly, God has written something since then. I went to a lot of black churches for a long time in inner city. And when they didn't know what to do, they would sing their go-to song. His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on the sparrow. I said, somebody shoot that sparrow. I need an eagle up in here. I wish I had a duck hunter in here. Shoot that sparrow. I mean, they totally wrecked the atmosphere. I mean, the spirit of God is moving and the anointed songbird comes. And now our sister was saying, his eye is on. I was, you're missing God. They were taking me back 30 years. Is anybody hearing this? Now, this is a prophetic word God gave me when I went through a crisis. 35, 40 years ago, God said, if you do what I ask you to do, it's going to disconnect you from some people. And it's going to reconnect me to some people. But the problem is, I don't see the people I'm going to reconnect till I disconnect. How many many know the story about Elisha and Elijah? Elijah was the guy that went up. Elisha was the guy that was on the ground. Elijah tore his mantle before the other one dropped. God caused us to use our faith to tear the old as we're waiting for the new. How we respond shapes us. And so I was in this situation. God said, I want you to do this. And I knew that if I did it, it was going to disconnect me to a whole group of churches. Because they didn't want to think like that. They were nonprofit churches, basically, or profit light. And I said, ah. And I'm thinking economics. I'm thinking relationships. He said, if I preach this message, it's going to disconnect me from people. And then I heard the Lord say, and I, had, I saw a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. He said, son, you've got to trust me for resurrection like my son trusted me for resurrection. You've got to trust me for reconnection son you gotta trust me for reconnection the same way my son trusted me for resurrection and he said i into your hands i put my spirit that's the correct response when you're going through something that's hell on earth i don't know what to do these people left my life that's crazy what do i do you say into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you for reconnection. The same way my Savior had to trust you for resurrection. Hallelujah. Your responses shape your soul. Your responses shape your soul. And it, it normalizes you internally where things don't really change. So as we're processing life and failure and confusion and things that we're going through, man, we got to have the right attitude about how to deal with this stuff in the Lord, else it's going to shape our soul to the negative. And then here's what the deal is. All the people in our future won't recognize us. You're unrecognizable to your future. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? See, God says, I'm sending you to the future, but if I respond different than he wants me to respond, when I get there, nobody recognizes me because God says he's going to be like this, she's going to be like this. But if I respond wrongly, I'm shaped wrongly. And I miss my whole destiny. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. God wants us to have wisdom. And I'm not talking about facts. Now, remember, we're talking about when you're having to disconnect and deal with challenges and people betraying you and new things and loss. We got to have wisdom. Can I say that we've done our children a disservice, many of the baby boomers and their children? Why? They didn't let them experience loss. No loss. You take your kids to a ball game and they don't keep score. Who won? Who lost? Nobody. Well, why do you have a trophy for participating? Did you play? 
No, you just sat on the bench and peed your pants. You're four years old. You, don't, you, just, you just get a trophy. Hey, you never experienced anything about life. Life contains losses. And if I don't train you how to deal with failures and coming in second or coming in third, when our expectations get broken, how do I deal with it? Somebody say broken expectations. And we're dealing with a generation who were told ever since they were young, you're a winner. You're awesome. Not everybody's awesome every day. And if I tell them they're good when they're bad, if I tell them they win when they lose, they're confused about how to enter life. And I've shaped their expectations. Now they're mad at me. We got a whole generation that wants free stuff. We got a presidential candidate that said, you want free this, free that. It's like, dude, where's all the money coming from? No budget. Here, take it, take it, take it, take it. And are we surprised that all of his army of supporters are all under in college age people? We're getting free stuff. You know, I heard it said this way. Under 30, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. Over 30, if you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. And we got to start putting stuff together. Wait, oh, it's not a free lunch. There's losers. There's winners. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And I meet people all the time that are stuck because they have a bad response to something five and 10 and 50 years ago. How many have heard that time heals all wounds? Oh, no. I met women that are 65 that are just as mad today as they were 35 years ago when their husband walked out with the secretary. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, no wonder nobody wanted to be with you. You're still mad about it. You just sing the song from Frozen. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Look at your neighbor say, let it go. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom... Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It's not knowledge and understanding that I can get from a book. It's for that situation. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, a shield for those who walk uprightly. Now listen very carefully. This church, by God's design, your pastor's calling, this couple's history, is designed for extremely broken people. I mean, I'm doing interviews. I'm like, oh, my God, you got all kind of people in this place. <laughs> I mean, a pastor could almost say, Lord Jesus, give me a better class of sinners to work with. <laughs> but here's the thing. He will have such a strong anointing to restore these people. But there has to be something in the people that want to be restored. And as long as you stay a victim, hey, I can't help you. God has no answers for victims that repent. Repent. Now listen to me. Somebody say it's all about wisdom. God never designed that we go through our journey in darkness on the earth. How many understand the whole earth is in darkness? Dark people, dark situations. He designed that we go through this journey in wisdom. Where I get a word for right now. How many got that? Now, we're going to read a passage of scripture in James. Because God's going to release prophetic insight and wisdom. How to go through crazy trials, betrayals, losses. When people leave you. Because God wants you to move on. Everybody say, "Move move on. You know what God said to Moses? No, that's, that's, you're prophesying to yourself, honey. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what God said to Joshua after Moses died? Next. Man, Moses, the all-star quarterback, he's on God's A team. He's the guy that brought him out. Water from the rock. He is elevated. But when he dies, what does God say? Next. Oh, you can be louder than that. One time. When God spoke to Joshua... 
And he talked about Moses. What did God say about Moses after he died? So there's things that die in your life all the time. People die. I'm talking about physical death. They leave you. They act like fools. Papa was a rolling stones. Whatever you got. Oh, we got a lot of Papa was a rolling stones in this church. We need to learn how to say that in Spanish. Hallelujah. How do I process Papa was a rolling stone? God has the next. That's the resurrection. And I've got to trust God for my reconnection like Jesus trusted God for resurrection. Can we say that? Say, I've got to trust my God for reconnection like Jesus trusted his father for resurrection. I mean, all the time they're stuck in a situation. And when you do counseling or do an interview, they're stuck at 13, they're stuck at 12, they're stuck at 17. Intellectually, they move on. But they never process that issue in the spirit. You can't process divorce in the natural. You can't process betrayal in the natural. You can't process when you're when, when there's an estate and the family fights like cats and dogs over an estate and your brother or your sister turns into a demon over a bunch of stuff. Now, you can't process that in your natural mind. It'll drive you crazy. You got to say, Lord, how do I deal with this stuff? Let me tell you, the worst thing you can do is try to forgive some people without the Holy Ghost. Man, there's people you can't forgive without the Holy Ghost. You're just still mad at them. And, and some of you, know, well, I said the word, I forgive you. I forgive. But you haven't done it in your heart. You haven't forgiven them until you can say, I bless you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold on, Kevin. Now, I forgive me. This whole blessing thing, I can't doubt. No, I can't bless. Do you know what he did to me? Do you know what she did to me? You're not, you haven't forgiven them until you're going to bless them. Oh, look how quiet it is in this church right now. Say, you haven't forgiven forgiven. till you can bless them. You haven't forgiven forgiven. until you can bless them. them. Why? If I don't bless, the curse is stuck inside of me. If I don't bless them, the curse is stuck inside of me. I kind of rejoice when they fail. I rejoice when they go broke. Is that how God is? But we got to get past it. I can't do this in this. I remember many years ago, I was in a situation where this guy really did me wrong. I mean, he was in the wrong. I was in the right. And I was just fussing about it. And I came back and I was praying. And I was just, I said, God, your people, your people, your people. I was vexed. And for 30 minutes, I just let God have it. And then he said, you got anything else you want to say? I said, no. He said, son, you can't forgive him without my participation. Ask for grace to forgive. Huh, I never thought about that. It was easy because I saw it by spiritual insight. I saw it from God's perspective, not my perspective. See, some of you don't understand how Pastor David can take so much abuse, how Pastor Emma can take so much abuse from the people that come in do you wrong, say these words. They've got to forgive by the grace of God. He's got to say, I'll let you see how I see him, son. Some of y'all need to forgive your daddies, your family. Well, I've tried, I've said the words, but it's so hard, it's so hard. I know that. Because you're trying to do it by the flesh. James chapter one, verse two. My brethren, can all joy when you fall into various trials. Man, is that a perverted scripture? Count it all joy. Oh, dear Lord, I'm getting repossessed. Hallelujah. Because (laughs) what it's saying, don't thank God for the situation. Thank God in the situation because I know that somehow my God's going to come through. You're trusting God for reconnection. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Let me just say this. God has scheduled a wilderness time for you. God has scheduled wilderness times. Jesus was led into the wilderness. And periodically in your walk with God, God will lead you to the wilderness. And if you try to fight the wilderness, I bind the No, God let you here. It's part of your process. Say part of my process. And so if you embrace the wilderness, say, okay, God, why am I here? What am I supposed to learn here? The sooner I learn it, the quicker I can get out of here. And people are sometimes your wilderness. I wish I could just transfer this department. And God said, what have you been praying for? See, whatever you pray for, God gives you the opposite. Or we have any teachers here. If you're a teacher, even physical or spiritual teacher, I want to be a teacher. Guess who you get assigned to? Ignorant people. You get the opposite of what you want to be. How many want to be a pastor? Guess who? Oh, you don't even raise your hand right now. Oh, heaven. No, oh, no, no, no. You're a tricky prophet. Jehovah Sneaky is in the house. I want to be a pastor. Who do you get? Emotionally deranged people. I can't understand. How come I get all these goofy people? Well, you ask for them. I want to be a pastor. How many have a prophetic anointing on your life? Guess who you get? Jezebel. You get a little Jesse, little Jesse. Not a full grown Jesse, but you get a little Jesse. <laughs> and so as you go through your process, God puts you in situations where it requires his wisdom. Now watch it. You're going to see it. Look at verse 5. Now, everybody say context. Content. Context. Content. It's talking about trials. Aren't we talking about trials? Why should we rejoice? Because God is about to give you his wisdom to go through the trial. You can't just read one verse and say, oh, joy, I have joy. The joy is about the wisdom that's about to be revealed to get through this mess. I said the joy is about the wisdom that's about to be revealed to get through this divorce, get through this crazy situation, get through the bankruptcy. Do you see it? If any of you lacks wisdom because you're going through a trial, let him ask of God who gives all liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. Let him ask in faith, not doubting, for he that doubts like the wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a what man? A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you do not get God's wisdom for whatever situation you're in, the wisdom that comes from a mouth of the Spirit of God breathing on you, you're double-minded, you're unstable. And really the Greek there is not minded soul. You have a double-souled person. They've got two sets of emotions. Two mental conditions. The, some of the, uh, the physicians call it bipolar. Oh, they're just bipolar. No, they're double-minded. They're this way one day, this way the next day. And everybody that's in this church, somebody in your life is double-minded. You know why? Because they never got prophetic wisdom. Somebody say prophetic wisdom. This pastor has to live on prophetic wisdom. He can't live by formulas. He can't live by legalism. And then it goes and said, verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, because the flower of the field is passed away. And it goes and talks about all these people who endure temptation. What's the temptation? The temptation is to respond outside of how Jesus would respond. 
The temptation is to respond different than you should respond in this trial. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin is full grown, brings down death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from heaven above and comes down from the Father of who? The Father of who? The Father of who? When you're going to deal with a situation, I need knowledge and illumination or light. So God said, I'm going to give you a gift for the trial you're going through. Somebody say the gift of light. If I don't get the gift of light, going to that trial is going to be just tedious. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, if you're holding two opposite brains or two opposite opposing thoughts in your head, you're crazy. You got torment all the time. The stories we tell ourselves. The stories we tell ourselves. Most of the stories we tell ourselves when we're going through a crisis, unless we get God's wisdom and the Father of light breathes on us, our stories, our narrative we talk to ourselves don't match up with the reality. A couple of months ago, I'm driving to the airport in Brazil. It was about a three-hour-and-a-half drive, and there was a lady driving me, and we had some other people in the car, and I started interviewing her, and she found out her dad wasn't her dad. And she was just mad about it, and she had all these issues about it. And then she found out who her dad was, and he was an alcoholic, and he beat her. I said, say this, say, say my, dad. my dad. No, not you, to her. <laughs> well, if the shoe fits, go ahead and say it. But I told her, I said, say my dad. She went, uh, it's subhuman. I can't say that. He's my dad. I said, well, if it was somebody else's dad, could you say it? Yeah, if it was somebody else's dad, I could say, he's subhuman. She would not tell herself a true narrative of the situation so she could not come into reality. I remember years ago, I'm preaching to this church, and this guy said, would you come for my 20th anniversary? And the church just wouldn't grow. I didn't want to go. It was in a big inner city situation. I said, I don't want to go. I mean, every time I go there, we have a move of the spirit, but you do something with it, and we go back down to 75 people again. And the guy had capacity. His wife had capacity. I said, I'm going to do an interview with these people. I said, okay, I'm going to come, but I'm going to do an interview. So I said to the daughter, I said, I said to the guy's wife, I said, so tell me about your father. When's the last time, and how's your dad doing? She goes, oh, he's good. I said, when's the last time you saw your dad? She said, 25 years ago. I said, 25 years ago? Why'd you say he's good? She said, well, the last time I saw him 25 years ago, he was good. <laughs> I said, lady, you are telling yourself a narrative that doesn't match up with reality. Because you won't identify the perpetrators. You won't call it what God calls it. Somebody say, call it what God calls it. You know, one of the great things in my life to change me is that I begin to call the sin in my life what God calls it. It's, there's no such thing as white lies. No such thing as being gay. He calls it homosexuality. Calls it a sodomite. That's what the Bible calls it. Well, that's offensive to who? To God? Or is it illuminating to the situation so they can come out into the light and have a narrative that corresponds to reality? You're as healthy or sick as your self-talk. Who do you talk to the most? You. And if you don't talk to the reality of the situation, you're talking to a crazy person. So I want you to see this. He said, if any man lacks wisdom when you're going through a trial, not just generic wisdom. Can I tell you that God doesn't just throw out wisdom just random? He gives you wisdom for a situation you're going through. Knowledge is different, but specific wisdom is for the situation. And he said, if anybody's going through a trial of their life, ask for wisdom and your father of lights will give it to you. Now, I want you to see this. 
Genesis chapter 3, we're talking about Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it or touch it lest you die. Everybody say, define death, Kevin. One more time. I can't hear you. Because we know when they ate the fruit, they didn't die physically. Here is the biblical definition of death. You are separated from the father's interpretation and the father's investigation. You no longer get your information from the father. Now you determine what's good and evil. You rewrite what's good and evil. And that's happening exactly in our situation in this generation. Verse 4. Jesus chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you should not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch. Look at verse 6. Everybody say, we're looking for wisdom. Satan always has a substitute for everything that God has the real thing for. And Satan will offer you the substitute, but he will always violate a command of God when he does it. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one what? Shout the word. Wise. To make one what? Wise. He gave her false wisdom. Gave her false wisdom. She took the fruit and ate. She gave it to her husband and he ate. Now look at verse 7. The eyes of both were open. Now they're in the reality of failure. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is so prophetic for the people who want to get out of the mess. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife did what? Yeah. I can't hear you. Yeah. What did they do? Yeah. Whenever you're not in reality, you always hide. For you to get restored, you have to come out of hiding. You know why God doesn't send certain kind of people to deliver you? Because they're afraid to pull you out of hiding. This pastor is not afraid to pull you out of hiding. Because if I don't get you out of hiding, I can't restore you. But I want you to see this. Oh, this is so prophetic for all you pastors and teachers and counselors. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Had God done anything? Was he the same? What made them hide? Their own heart. Somebody told me last night, he said, Kevin, I've been avoiding you for years. It wasn't me that person was avoiding. It's their own heart. And so what happens, they're hiding and they're not getting any better. Then the Lord calls out, Adam, where are you? And really the translation should be, Adam, how did you get here? God knew where they were. How did you get here? And then he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you were naked? You've eaten from the tree, haven't you? I command you should not eat. And the man said, look what the man said. The woman that you gave me. He said, God, if you had been a better eHarmony.com, I wouldn't be in this mess. <laughs> now, Lord, you give me this old Jezebel woman wife. Ugh. So he's hiding. But what's his narrative? It's not my fault. It's God's fault. Doesn't accept responsibility. Not my fault. Can I tell you when you meet people asking this question, now how did you get here? How did you get here? You have a college education. You're a smart person, but you're homeless. How'd you get here? How'd you get here? When you ask that question, how people got to where they are, you make them have to recite the narrative. If their narrative doesn't match up with reality, that's where we start. And then that's the way we get out of mess. And then he said to Eve, how'd you get here? It was the devil. She blamed the devil. You know what repentance is? Repentance is taking responsibility for your own actions. The word repentance doesn't mean to cry and moan. It just means to tell yourself the truth and change your mind. The word repentance means to burn down the house you used to live in. Burn it down. So if we're going to get this thing shaped and changed inside of us, our responses to our failure have to be with God's righteousness. Our responses to the failures that I went through must be, I acknowledge I was wrong. 
I got the grace of God. I'm going to get the wisdom of God. The light of the Father is going to shine on me. And from this day forth, the curse stops here. I'm moving on. Somebody say the curse stops here. Come on, shout the curse stops here. One more time. Declare it one more time. So if I don't respond to the losses and the trouble and the death and the betrayals in my life, if I don't respond correctly, what happens to me? It shapes me and I'm broken for my future. I'm deformed. And a lot of people, they don't want, they don't want to change. They want to stay mad. They want to stay bitter. You got to say, I let it go. 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 I let her go. I let him go. I let my mama go. I let my daddy go. I let my family go. Because they don't want to change. They're the ones that don't want reality. I want you to close your eyes right now. Today in this room, God is saying, I'm coming to visit you. To deliver you in your daily responses to your dysfunction. That you say, God... I was a victim, but how I'm responding is the wrong way. I was betrayed, but how I'm responding is not how reality is speaking to me right now. God, bring me to reality. You know, the word truth in the Bible is the Greek word aletheia. It means reality. They that worship God shall worship in spirit and in what? Not just factual truth. That's why when worship is strong, reality comes in the room. That's why your pastor is always pressing you, get deeper in worship, get deeper in worship, because reality is coming in the room. Now, there's many of you here today. This has been a piercing prophetic word for your life. And what you've done is you compartmentalize your dysfunctional people the situation, and you've acted like it's not there, but it's still there affecting you. And the way you're not responding like Jesus is shaping you and shaping you and shaping you and shaping you. Part of deliverance is getting rid of demons. But another part is getting people free to walk in the reality of a new day. Somebody say a new day. You know how come Pastor David can tell his testimony so profusely? Because he had that experience. He acknowledges what was bad. He acknowledges his failures. He could tell that story so easily. Why? It's in the past. That man is dead. Now, some of you need to get rebaptized. Some of you have never been baptized. Some of you have never been baptized. I come from the Catholic Church and I came to a meeting one time and they were saying we're going to have a baptism on Saturday and the Holy Spirit said, you need to go get baptized. I said, I've already been baptized. I was referring to my Catholic baby baptism. I said, I've already been baptized. And the Lord said to me, he said, would you, would you get baptized? What sin did you do? Poop your pants? He said, it's the baptism for the remission of sin. And this word shook me. He said, son, there is no record of your baptism on file in heaven. There is no record of your baptism on file in heaven. And so I went and got baptized. You know what baptism is? Going to your own funeral. You bury yourself. You bury the old man. Just close your eyes and say, Father, bring me to reality. Holy Spirit, remind me when I'm responding the wrong way to the negative in my life. To the losses in my life. To the death in my life. Show me. If I'm responding the wrong way. So I can be shaped for my future. So I can be shaped for my future. Now right now the spirit of God is falling on every single person here. He's coming on every single person here. No more excuses. No more excuses. No more excuses. No more excuses. If you know this word is for you, when I count to three, jump to your feet right now. The Lord loves to see people respond correctly when truth is preached. One, two, three. Stand up if that's you. If that's you, if that's you. Bye.
That's the Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom and light to respond correctly to the loss, to the death, to the confusion, to the chaos just in my life. Now, right now, the Spirit of God is coming on you right now. It's not going to leave you when you leave this building. It's not going to leave you when you leave this building. Will somebody give the Lord a mighty hand of applause? Amen. I'll come back up to you.